family church. We believe in the Word of God. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit. And it's amazing to be here. This morning, we want to read Philippians chapter 3. It's this verse behind me here. Before to read the text, we just need to understand a bit uh, about the culture. And then uh, we're, going to, we're going to read the text. I don't know how many of you, if you have been in Greece in the holidays. Ah, I'm so jealous. I hate you. <laughs> Giovanna, she went, what's the name? The island? You rode. Uh, nice. Nice. I haven't. But I ate Greek food. It's awesome. <laughs> so they have this myth or legend in, in the Greek mythology. Mythology? Mythology. Thank you. It's about a guy who was a runner. No, actually, let me explain better. So they had this city in a war against the Persians. And after the victory of the Greeks, yes, the marathon, someone said. Marathon was the name of the, the, the city. And, and then, okay, now we need to send a message for Athens that we were victorious in this war. They had no WhatsApps, they have no nothing, so let's send someone running. So this guy, he ran from, according with this myth or legend or history, he ran from marathon into Athens without stopping. And the distance was something around 26, 27, 25 miles, 42 or 43 uh, kilometers. So they gave the name of Marathon in this journey. And when he arrived in Athens, he arrived in the streets shouting, Nike, Nike, you know, the trainers, the shoes, Nike, yeah. But actually, it was a Greek goddess, goddess. The goddess of victory, Nike. So he was communicating. They were victorious and then he fall and he died by exhaustion. Now, why I'm reading this myth for you or this legend very famous in the old ancient Greek life. Because the, the New Testament, we are under this Greek culture and under the Roman Empire. So all the time, the Apostle Paul and the Bible in the New Testament, you see many times, they're using analogies or teachings according with the culture. And what they're going to read now is something about this. A verse, okay, yeah, next. So maybe I need you, but yeah, I don't know if you can read, but it's your Believe me, it's in your Bible. Uh, Philippians chapter 3. So just this verse between 12 and 16 says, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to, ta to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what's ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then. Well, I think we finished in Christ Jesus. Yeah, yeah okay. Now I want to pray with you. Lord, this is your word. And your word is powerful to comfort the downcast, to downcast the proud, to bring life um, for those who need. 
Please, I ask you this morning, Lord, reveal for us the treasures in these scriptures, feeding our hearts with your presence. We give you glory. Amen. Amen. Question. What's the hardest sport in the world? The toughest one. The, I mean, the sports that requires more uh, physical strength. Marathon. But it's not any marathon. So I was checking this. There's a marathon of six days. <laughs> running without stop. So six days. Uh, 155 mile or 250 kilometers in six days. It, this, is, this is hard. But it's not in a, a, anywhere, any place. It's in the desert of Sahara, Sahara, Sahara. Six days running under that sun. <laughs> uh, a uh, 155-mile race through the Sahara described as the toughest race. Now, we had one man, and he was in this journey, in this race. In 1994, he gave an interview for BBC, and he was lost for 10 days in the desert. So, following a sandstorm, the former Olympic pentathlete was lost in the desert for 10 days. So one of his friends came to him before this race saying, oh, there is an amazing marathon in the desert, but it's very tough. And he said, well, I love a challenge. This is his interview on BBC. I love a challenge. So I started training immediately. Immediately, He was running 40 kilometers a day, reducing the amount of water I was drinking, drinking to get used to dehydration. And also, I was never home. His name is Mauro Prosperi. And he's Italian. He's alive. Okay. He's an Italian guy. And he said here, My wife thought I was insane. The race is so risky that you have to sign a form to say where you want your body to be sent in case you die. Uh, we had three children under the age of eight. So I was worried, and I tried to reassure her. The worst, that, the worst that can happen is that I get beat sunburned, I said. And then, just to summarize this, because I need to preach, but <laughs> this is a very uh, amazing story. He said he faced a sandstorm, sandstorm, and he said in his words, I was swallowed. Yeah, is right my pronunciation? Yeah. By a yellow wall of sand. I was blind. I couldn't breathe. The sand whipped my face. It was a storm of needles. I understood for the first time how powerful a sandstorm, a sandstorm could be. I turned my back on the wind and wrapped a scarf around my face to stop the sand from wounding me. And like I said, he is alive. But after 10 days lost... Uh, he was found by some police officers in Morocco. And, of course, they celebrate when he fi and they finally... Because they were looking for a corpse. Because nobody believed that he would be alive. And then he, after this, discovered that... I discovered that I crossed the border into Algeria. And I was 291 kilometers away from my original track. 181 miles away. 
My eyes have suffered and my liver was dam dam damaged, but my kidneys were fine. I couldn't eat anything other than soup or liquids for months. And I took, it took me almost two years to recover. Wow. So, very excited for Sunday morning. <laughs> um, that's why I don't run. <laughs> so, I'm, we will be back tomorrow by the end, and then we understand why I'm sharing his story here with you. But it's, uh, we see this picture in the Bible, in Paul writings about the marathon, a race. Uh, let me give you a bit of context. Today is the first day that we are starting a series talking about this chapter of the, book, uh, of the letter of Philippians. And um, we are in chapter 3. But just to give you a bit of context, so you need to understand what was happening. This is Philippi. Uh, it was a very, very important city in the ancient world. And to understand this letter, you need to give some steps back to read Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16 is the backstage, the back scenes of this church in Philippi. So how they start the church, how was the first steps, how was that church planting project. And everything starts with a lady. And this lady, her name was Lydia. And she opened her house, received people, and started a church from her house. Everything is there in Acts 16. But Philippi, it was some kind of, um, how can I say, gateway to Europe. Paul was trying to preach in other places. If you read later, Acts 16, you see this. Paul was trying to preach in other places, and the Holy Spirit said no. And, and, and what we see in Acts 16 is God closing doors for Paul. And overnight, he had a vision or a dream, and God was inviting him to another part of the world and was the beginning of the gospel to Europe. We don't know why, but God was just bringing the gospel to Europe. And Philippi was this main place and city, a gate to Europe. So Paul went there. Cultural center, a trade center of business, strategic place to start a church. So Paul was thinking, okay, if I'm going to Macedonia, which is that area, where is the best city to start a church? Philippi. The culture, everything there was so important. Why it was so important? Well, beginning with the founder, this guy here. By the way, this is Val Kilmer uh, in the film uh, Alexander the Great. He plays the character of Philip of Macedon or Macedonia. He was the king of Macedonia and he was the guy. Now you understand why the letter in your Bible is Philippians or why is this city called Philippi? Because of this guy. His name was Philip. So he started this city in 360 before Christ and why this was so, so important. Well, they had in the past a war in this, in this place. And Julius Caesar, the emperor, when he was betrayed and killed by Brutus and the Senate, uh, the army who were loyal to the emperor, they fought a war in this place. They were victorious and as a, as a, I don't know, a recognition or reward they gave to this city, the, the Roman Empire gave to this city a title of Roman colony. What is this? Roman colony. So that means everything there was like a miniature of Rome. Food, music, dressing code, lifestyle. It's like Rome. Small version. Everything was there. So the worship 
gods, goddess, everything there. Lots of money, lots of business. That's why Lydia was there. Her business were growing. So Paul said, okay, this is the best place to start the church. In Acts 16, verse 12, you, sh you tell this that I'm telling you now. How uh, was important. And the verse 14 of Acts 16 says that the Lord opened Lydia's heart to believe in the message that Paul was preaching. Showing that salvation starts with the Lord. He opened her heart. Do you know that feeling that sometimes you have? You fight inside of you. Oh, is God real? I'm feeling attracted somehow, but I'm full of questions. Is God bringing you? What's the same with Lydia? Now, to understand, Paul wrote this in this year. Or between 61 and 62, he was in a prison, of course, it's Paul, in Rome. And chapter 1 talks about the supremacy of Christ. Chapter 2, the primary of brotherhood. And the chapter 3 that we are going to read in this series talks about his biography. Now, you need to understand the structure of the letter and the structure of the chapter. And this part, I need your attention because later on, we will put some practical applications to our lives. This chapter 3, for verse 1 to 11, Paul is talking about his past. When you read there, he's talking all the time about the past, 12 to 16, the present, where we read now. And 17 to 21, he talks about the future. He talks about our heavenly citizenship. Or he talks about the destination of the wicked. Or uh, something that he called the enemies of the cross. Everything about the future. So when I read the chapter, I said, well, there's a lot there. Uh, so I will share with the church. As we are not in the past. We are not in the future yet. Let's talk about the present. So this verse... Uh, between 12 and 16 that we read. Some lessons from a race, a marathon. This life is this long, long obedience in the same direction. It's a long marathon that we are involved with. It's, it's like life is a, some kind of unfinished work. You are growing every day. It's a constant advance towards maturity. And the ambition of every athlete is to win the prize. So everything, strict diet, weightlifting, uh, bodily discipline, how many hours of sleep, everything you eat in athlete is just to win the prize. All the time, the prize, the prize, the reward is in their hearts and minds, mind. That's why the athlete is all the time... Uh, with a prize, very clear in their hearts. So when they are in the sandstorm, when they are struggling, when they are with pain, they think in the prize. This is our lives. This is the analogy that Paul is using here. Now let's break down these verses from 12, mainly 12 and 13, because we don't have time for the whole chapter to see uh, some lessons. Let's read again verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all of this, or I have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Verse 12. Just highlight some sentences here. Not that I have already obtained all of this. So this is, is funny. When Paul wrote this, he was 
around in this journey with Christ in this race for something around 30 years. And what he's saying is, well, I'm in this race for 30 years, but I'm not there yet. I'm just scratching the surface. In other words, he's saying, Christ is so deep. Christ is so mysterious that over that after all this journey I'm not understanding everything yet I'm not there yet that I have already obtained all of this I understood some steps but not all of it Christ is like this deep deep ocean that sometimes are just in the in a very shallow place and we feel satisfied sometimes but there's all this deep ocean of Christ. There's so much more of Christ. And the more we know, we realize how little we know. And the more we know, we realize how much more we want to know of Christ. So Paul starts saying, I am in this journey, but there's a lot to know more about him. And then he keeps saying the same verse. That's why I press on. I put effort. I put dedication. I move me. Now, this word here, we can read in the New Testament 44 times. And the context of this word, I press on, is always in the context of persecution. You need to remember, first century, Roman Empire killing everybody, killing, persecuting Christians. So, this context of persecution... This press on, uh, we see in the New Testament, always being used as a running out of the town because of the persecution, escaping. So what Paul is doing, he is playing with the words. He's saying, I am the one who is chasing. I'm not running from, I'm going, I'm running to it. So what he's saying, I'm pressed on, I'm running to it, to Christ. Paul is doing the chasing. He runs after Christ. In other words, he's not passive in this journey. He's not a consumer only. He's putting his heart, his energy, the years of his life, his money, his skills, his creativity, everything in this race. Everything in this journey. Of course, the order here is very important. We know we are saved by grace. Isaiah says that we all like sheep have gone straight. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. So he chased us. He saved us. And now he put us in this race. And Paul is saying, in this race, in this journey, I cannot just, okay, Sunday morning, I'm going to the church. I know the choreography. I lift my hands. I clap. I drink coffee. And it's nice. And I go home. And I live between Sundays on my own terms. No, he's saying, hey, we are in the long marathon. Maybe some of us in the desert. Maybe some of us feeling very alone and lost. Maybe some of us facing sandstorms. But I press on because I have a prize. And the prize, if you keep reading, is not just a nice title before your name. It's not some recognition the price is not even the blessings of God. It's not a healing. It's not the answer of some prayer. The price is Jesus himself. 
Nothing better. Nothing. So he keeps saying. And not even scratching the surface, there's a deep knowledge of Christ. I'm pressing on, but one thing I do. Now, the original text in the Greek, there is no this I do. It's just one thing. And one thing was funny because I was reading, it's okay, this one thing, I have two things inside this one thing. So in this one thing, he's saying, forgetting what's behind. And the other part, he says, straying toward what's ahead. So, okay, it's not five things, not 15 things. My priority in life is just one. Church can be a very busy environment. Our journey, our race can be so busy with good stuff. With good, godly things. Ministry, let's do this and do that. And all of this is part of the journey. But the priority is one thing. And now, I want to share with you in this few minutes, uh, this first bit, forgetting what is behind, which is negative, and the positive is, is a Paul's style. He always, he always put together a negative and a positive aspect. So forgetting and straining towards, I want to share with you three ways that we can forget what is behind. Thinking in Paul's life, in my life, in our lives, things that we must forget. Well, um, past sins. Paul had a long, long list, my friends. Sometimes I have no idea who uh, this man was. He called himself a chief of sinners. The Bible calls him, like, um, compares him with a wild beast. The Bible says that he used to breathe threats and dead you know that kind of person which uh, the presence of that person makes you feel sick just the name of Paul his reputation uh, reputation reputation was so famous in a bad way that everybody was afraid of him he was violent he was a criminal But he could never press on if he was continually pondering over past sins. It's like you are running the race with, um, what's the name, leg weights. You have something holding you back. Past sins. Some of us, we struggle to forgive ourselves. Some of us, when we remember the times that we were very, I don't know, um, not fair, unjust, rude, when we lied, when we provoke, or when we hurt someone, when we cheat, when we betrayed, when we had maybe an abortion, and you feel you never can forgive yourself. Or when you did something that, when you look behind and you look for 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 40 years ago, or last week, and you think, this is that guy, that, that person, it's not me, I'm not like this, why I did this, why I behaved like this, why I said this, and then we have all these past sins. And did you know that devil is not his name? It's just a title. 
Satan is not a, a name, it's a title. It's the accuser. It's the one who keeps bringing back your past. And sometimes we, we don't need him. We do by ourselves this. We keep remembering. Remember that email or that conversation or that day. Mainly if you are part of church for a long time and, I don't know, you are a leader of something in the church or a preacher, a musician, or looking after someone or a small group or kids, and you hurt someone, and you still feel bad about this. Maybe you are watching this on YouTube or you are just coming to the church again, but you have a long list behind of you. Many different beds, sex with many different people. Or maybe you behave really well, but your mind is so dirty and your heart is so heavy. Past sins. Paul talks about his past sins all the time in the New Testament. And there's a moment where he wrote saying, I'm not worth to be called or to receive the title as apostle because I was a I was persecuting the church of Jesus Christ. And in our English, or even my language Portuguese translation, we don't have the idea how heavy is this word about persecution. We think something cute. We think something, okay, normal. Oh, it's just about my, uh, again, reputation. They're talking bad against me. No, they're killing people. Past sin. You can never run this race with this past sins in your minds, in your heart. That's why only the gospel of Jesus Christ has a word, because there's many words that we can share with many religions, law, submission, obedience, rules, but only in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you find the word grace. Grace, forgiveness that I don't deserve it. And you know that you don't deserve it. And when you know that you don't deserve it, you don't understand this. What I deserve it? Punishment. What I deserve it? Hell. Eternal condemnation. I, I told him uh, some time ago, I remember this, I was talking to someone this week. I think it was Wendy in our meeting on Friday. I was talking that I saw a girl in a till. I was about to pay my sub uh, subway sandwich. And she had a tattoo in her arm. And the tattoo was written there, only God can judge me. And then I said to her, oh, only God can judge you. And she said, yes. <laughs> and I said to her, so you're not worried about this. And then she changed. <laughs> I love to be annoying. <laughs> because you just can't enjoy the grace and salvation. And some of us, we struggle to enjoy this. If first we understand that we don't deserve, that we have sins, that the sin is not only something that I do outside of me. I go there, I will, sin is here. And I don't, I don't know how to get rid of this. That's why I need the grace. That's why I need salvation. It's a prize and a reward that I don't deserve. So mercy keeps protecting me about the condemnation that I deserve. And grace not only protects me, but also gives me rewards and prize that I don't deserve at all. Past sin. So maybe this morning, my friend, you, you need to understand the cross of Jesus. 
If you understand the blood of Jesus and the cross, you never dare to look to your mirror and say, I cannot forgive myself. You are forgiven. You were forgiven. And you know what? The Bible says that God has a problem in his memory. God has some kind of, what's the name, that disease, you forgot the things? Dementia. Very selective. When it's about your sins, the Bible says, oh, he doesn't remember anymore. It's not there. It's not in the books. It's not in the files. It's not in anywhere. So God remember that day. No, sorry, I don't. Because of the cross of Jesus and his grace. So maybe this morning is your morning. Forgetting what's behind. I know it's tough. I know I have memory. I know you remember. But the pain, the poison, you'll not be there anymore. So what Paul is saying, in order to run this race, first I need to forget what's behind. What's behind, Paul? Look to his CV. Past sins. What else? Well, Past sufferings. Paul has a long list. Beating, stoning, mocking, flogging, prisons, everything. There is no... Uh, when, oh, oh, it's funny. When I talk with someone coming from... Um, was it in prosperity preachers' places where everybody's so happy. Uh, it's like that uh, advertising of, of, you know, happy family. Uh, it's on TV. Uh, the, the advertising is just about the, the butter for the bread, but everybody's so happy. And then when they come from these places where they keep teaching, oh, you be successful and rich and beautiful and et cetera, et cetera, when they realize life is not like this, and, uh, and then when I talk with these guys, I always open in a part when Paul presents his suffering. There's a long list there. And justice, I don't know, humiliation is something very painful. I don't know if you suffered some humiliation in your life, but it's painful. And, and the worst thing is someone really annoying, and this person is right and you're wrong. This is difficult. So there's a lot of suffering. What Paul is saying is, I will not let the suffering of my past slow down my race. I will not let the victimization of my suffering slow down my race. And you know what? They hated Jesus. They will hate us as well. It's part of the contract, my friend. It's there in that book, New Testament. So, how oh, they're talking bad about me. Or, sometimes I was suffering, and I'm not denying suffering. Of course, life is full of pain. The life, sometimes we don't have control. We lost control of our family and, and maybe you are facing a, a divorce very painful maybe you are facing a problem in your i don't know in your kids or your emotions and your finances or, your, or some disease or some problem that causes you to suffer oh i keep repeating this i don't know enough, i don't know any strong person with an easy past i don't know so Suffering is part of our race. The sandstorm is there. The heat is there. But my past suffering cannot slow down my race. Why? Because there is a prize. This is our problem. We forgot the prize. We're just involved in the journey, the race. Oh, there's a prize. 
And mornings like this is to bring back to your memory and your heart, hey, there's a prize waiting for you. There is a finish line. Nobody keeps suffering forever. And if your past was tough, I do understand. Your traumas, people that you loved and hurted you. And let me tell you something. We are are here in the community church. Some of us, we are on the journey for over, I don't know, 40 years walking with Jesus, 30, 25. And this is a very diverse uh, group of people, and I love this. Some of us are just arriving now in this journey. Some of us are two, five years walking with Jesus, and we are in different stages of this race. Um, but some of us who are in a long, long time in this race, sometimes we keep collecting sufferings from the place that's supposed to be a place where there is no suffering. There is no suffering. So, some of us, we are hurted by churches, religion, pastors, leaders. And some of us, these past sufferings, they are holding our legs to not run the race. Do you remember what he said? I press on. I put some effort on this. I not let all the things from my past to hold me back past suffering I know your story but look to your sufferings this morning we're going to pray in a few minutes and talk with Jesus come on I not let this so hold me there's a long race to run there's another oasis in this desert there's another seasons of my life waiting for me there's a finish line there Jesus is waiting for me Hebrews you say you say that we are surrounded by a witness cloud can you imagine you are running your marathon in the stadium and then I look for, for the seats and I have this witness cloud witness cloud the guys from the past or oh, have all the guys in the Bible there come on Danny you are running and then I have the guys from history I have Billy Graham there I have Spurgeon there I have Wesley there I have all these guys we run our race is in your time it's your turn now it's your generation it's your church we did it now it's you the finish line is waiting for you past sufferings they're not holding me back another thing past victories the enemy of your or our how can I say this success maybe is the past victory sometimes why Wow. Why, Paul? He had a long list as well. Long list of past sins, long list of sufferings, and long list of victories. How many churches? Just in your Bible, 13, 12 or 13 uh, books or letters in the New Testament was written by him. He's still being effective centuries uh, after. How many souls went to Christ? How many sermons? How many instructions, church planting, miracles, everything? Past victories. What Paul is saying is that he cannot live in the past presuming it's all going to be replicated in the same way. Past victories. He cannot dwell on those past victories or it calls him to ease off in the running of the race. Uh, in running the race. You know, my saddest feeling sometimes when my good testimony is to share with my girls, they are in my past. When I have that, uh, and I don't get me wrong, I'm super glad for this, of course. The past, they were building our faith. 
building up our faith and be, making us to be more mature, etc. Praise God for the past. Praise Jesus. It was a privilege to have past victories. But when I'm sharing with them at home, or with friends, or here, and when I think, wow, this testimony is 10 years ago, or that, um, I don't know, amazing time with God was in my past. Also, when I had the privilege this week on, wow, looks like 100 years ago was last Tuesday to watch by invitation of Neil and Tracy, I watched the film Jesus Revolution. We went to the cinema, and it's, a, it's an amazing film. It was last Tuesday. It was okay, great, thank you. <laughs> I'm getting old. So, Jesus Revolution, the film, amazing film. And we were driving back and chatting in the car, and Neil said to me, you see that passion in the film? We need this. And I said to Neil, yeah, you're right. I need this. Where is it? So past victories. I, I don't want to be a walking museum or, or someone. And I'm opening my heart here. The best stories that I have was in the past. When was the last time I took risk for something for, for the cause of the gospel? When was the last time I did something new for the first time? I do, sometimes I don't remember. Sometimes I'm just settled. You know, the, the two guys walking to Emmaus Road in Luke chapter 24, they were disciples of Jesus. They were not that famous that we know the names John, Peter, etc., but they were disciples as well. Jesus had the three guys, Peter, uh, John, and James. And then he had the 12 guys, but then the 72, and then lots of more disciples. So two disciples, they were walking away from Jerusalem, going to Emmaus, and, and Jesus was walking alongside them. Uh, they didn't recognize Jesus. Was it just a, someone walking? And they, uh, you can read in your Bible, they were talking to each other. And one of these guys, he said this phrase. He said for this traveler, was Jesus. He said, we had hope, we had expectations about this Jesus that he would save, save uh, Israel. But now is the third day that he died and everything's in the past. So his heart was delayed. His mind was in the past. His best references of walking with God was in the past. The best moments, full of flavor, full of life, was when he was, I don't know, when I was a teenager or something. Past victories. So to forget what's behind sins, okay. Sufferings, oh, thank God. But victories, what do you mean? No, I'm glad. But the creativity of the Holy Spirit's not finished. The mission is that I'm alive. I still have some yards or some time to run my race. God, what are you doing now? Where is your spirit doing something new? Where is the life of God, the blowing of this spirit? I want to be part of this. I want to have some passion again in my heart. I don't want to live only by past only. Past victories cannot hold you back. And then, strength toward what's ahead. And this is the point. What is ahead? Jesus is ahead. Here's the prize. Now, before we are going to pray and communion and leave space for those who are gifted in this church to bring a word, we believe the gifts. We want to leave the space now for this. Uh, I want to invite Steve again to, to 
to play some song uh, for us. And, and I need you a few minutes more giving me your attention. Uh, because I really need to say something here about your future. And my future as well, of course. In Psalm 139, 139, you can read later in your home. This psalm says that all of our days have been written in his book before these days existed. We have, um, we have a limited number of days in this earth, in this race. And at the appointed time, if you believe or not, this is truth. We, all of us, we will stand before God. We will stand before Him. And that truth so captured the heart of Paul that he strained everything and every spiritual muscle within his being to run this race. Because he knew life is short. I need to finish what he has started in my life. I really don't know where are you in this, in this journey, where you are in this journey, in this race. I don't know. Maybe you are struggling with your past, with your sufferings or your victories. I don't know. But the finish line is coming for me and you. And Jesus will be there. And we will see him. If you keep reading Philippians chapter 3, Paul is sharing this in the verse 21. He talks about the end of our journey. When you see him. When you be with him. Coming back to our hero, he said, Four years later, I was back in the marathon. People asked me why I went back, but when I start something, I want to finish. <laughs> we gave up so easily. I, we give up church or things because someone was grumpy with me or... Another part of the Bible in the New Testament when Paul is using this analogy is here. I want to read with you. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Do you know, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in a such way as to get the prize. Not passively, not waiting for someone to do something. Run. The language is run. Don't walk. Run. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Maybe it's you now. They do it to get a crown that will not last. And I love this next sense. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to the others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Let's stand. Let's have a word of prayer.
Bible says that God, full of mercy and compassion, and because of His great love that He loved us, He sent us His Son. And the Bible says in Isaiah that was God's will to crush Him on that cross because of your and my sins. We are forgiven. There's a redemption. And maybe you can start again your race this very morning. If you gave up, if you're feeling weary and alone, well, join to the club. Many times I felt like this, the same. Maybe God wants to tell you, hey, I gave my son for you. And Jesus said, I am with you. Always, into the end of the ages. So, into the end of the day. So, your future is waiting for you. And this is not a conversation about, oh, it's about my self-esteem. No, it's about heaven or hell. It's about the eternal condition of your soul. Maybe this is a morning for repentance. Maybe this is a morning to surrender your heart to Jesus. To ask forgiveness for past sins. Or to ask forgiveness to someone. And be back in the race. Close your eyes for a second. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word. Jesus said that the word, his word is full of spirit and life. And I pray for every heart here this morning, in this hall, or watching on YouTube, for every heart who just received your word this morning. Only you, Holy Spirit, can make this seed grow. Only you can provoke change, bring repentance and miracles. So I pray in Jesus' name for those who are feeling tired and overwhelmed. And they want to be back on the race. Looking to the prize of our salvation, Jesus Christ. I pray for them. Asking for you, Lord, to help. In Jesus' name. Amen. We are going to praise with Steve and Jody. Of course, you as well. My friend, I want to see you playing that drum, new drum. And while we are worshiping Jesus, we are having communion. But also, we will be here to pray for you. If you are struggling, facing some challenge, come, let's pray together. Okay?